And it's a message of God's grace. Uh, we all need measures of God's grace because when we look at what's going on in this world and the, the divisions um, that our culture um, has brought really upon itself and we see what's happening in Israel um, and Israel has polarized, brought this chasm of separation within the American culture um, we have, uh, you know, the the, the co-fraud pandemic um, that brought a divide among people, and so we have now. It's it's like, how do we recover from that? How do we bridge gaps with people that uh, hate the church because the church uh, was fighting together? Um, how many people? Um, do you know that they're they're dividing over political issues rather than coming together with the common ground of preaching the gospel? And it's when we focus on God's grace, uh, we all need His grace. We all need measures of His grace. And for for some, I could only imagine for some, you might feel that you've gone too far. And that you're never really going to ever experience fully God's grace. You're never really fully going to experience a guilt-free, a shame-free life. Because of things that you were caught up in. Things that you might have done. And it could be as recent as yesterday. And yet, God's grace is measured um, by no measuring stick. Uh, his, His grace is vast. It's deep. Uh, his mercies are new um, every once in a while. No, His mercies are new every morning. And we are told to boldly come to the throne of grace. So when we think of boldness, the same way you might be bold to jump in the street to protect the child from going out into the street, you need to be that bold to uh, go before the Lord to receive His grace. Because it's grace that we also find mercy. And it's in that mercy that we experience His grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God's mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so it's like we want, a, we want the, the, the mercy-grace sandwich, right? Like I, I want to feast on all of it. I want to feast on all of God's blessings. And I want to feast... On, on his mercy that where I don't get what I deserve. And we're going to look at an incredible account of a very evil man this morning. When Pastor Manny... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> when, when we approach the Word of God, you know, how many of us are thankful that our testimony is not written in the Word for everybody to read. Right? Can you imagine running a a PowerPoint presentation of just what your last week had been? The trials, the struggles. I mean, how many of us struggled yesterday? How many of us struggled this morning? I mean, it's we struggle all the time. Sometimes we struggle with action. Sometimes we struggle with thought. 
We get bent up with anxiety. We get bent up with anger. We get we could get uh, uh, just lured away with lust. We could get drawn into um, an addiction. Our our body crying out for it, and it all starts right here. It all starts in the mind. And so when we look at God's word, there are some of us that. I went through the school of hard knocks where you had to experience the hardship in order to learn. And then there are those that live vicariously by reading the word of God and saying, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to do that. And I wish that was more of my testimony. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about the word of God. Now, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles. Chapter 33. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. It's an amazing account of evil and grace. 2 Chronicles 33. And before we read... I, I want to give you a backdrop because the king at the time, his name um, is Manasseh. And he comes into uh, kingship at a very young age. Uh, his dad, his, uh, Hezekiah, was a very godly man. And so Manasseh, he had everything kind of set up for him to succeed. He was the 14th king from King David. And Hezekiah was one that uh, went and fixed a whole bunch of stuff that his dad had messed up. And, and King Hezekiah, he went in and got rid of the idol worship and got rid of uh, pagan uh, worship and all the, the sexual promiscuity that was going on in, in this type of worship. And so it was something that when we look at what Manasseh, when we think of parenting, uh, how many of us, you know, uh, we want our, our kids to thrive. We want our kids to thrive in a godly home. We want to give them the word of God. We want to say, make your, decision, your decisions based on the authority of God's word. Not on your feelings. Our feelings deceive us, right? Well, Manasseh, he had everything set up for him to succeed, but yet he did things differently. And he was one of the most wicked men, definitely one of the most wicked kings to ever rule over Israel. Uh, when you think of um, the brutality, when you think of the sensuality, it was uh, worse than today. I mean, so if you wrap your mind around uh, what is taking place, he was a one that would cut up in not only sin, but witchcraft, like divinations. He would uh, just give himself over to the, the demoniac. You know, we might get, we might fall into sin or get entrapped by sin, but we're not like praying to Satan. We're not inviting demons willingly. But yet that's what Manasseh did. 
But that's not the end of his story. There's a measure of, of, of God's magnificent grace. And so here in chapter 33, verse 1, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old. All right, so that's the first warning. What 12-year-old should be a king? So I went to Dr. Google, and I looked up, what are 12-year-olds concerned about? 12-year-olds are concerned about body image, looks, clothes, focus on themselves, going back and forth between high expectations and lack of confidence, and experience more moodiness. So maybe that's just the end of the message for you, and you're like, okay, now I get it. I understand my 12-year-old. But Manasseh also was one of the longest ruling kings of 55 years. That's a long time. And most of it, wicked. You know, we see the decline in our generation. Uh, my wife, we were uh, at dinner last night. Pastor Manny, um, he said, hey, let's go out to dinner. And we were going. And, uh, and he said, you know, so we drove up to the menu. And he said, you could get anything... <laughs> Anything you want in the value section. <laughs> and so then my wife said, whispered, says, he's cheap. I said, I know. <laughs> no, my wife, uh, we're uh, enjoying our meal, and she, she said, you know, back in the days of when Calvary Chapel started, it was the hippie movement, and it was the anti-government movement, the hippie movement was. And so a lot of the Calvary guys, you know, they just wanted to focus on God's Word because politics was a mess. Which is fine for a time, but what we are now dealing with is the consequence of the church not being involved in the culture. And so it's important that we just don't put our head in the in the sand and think, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here and read my Bible all day and, and not do anything to shine light on evil. We are to expose evil. We are to glory in the fall of those that that are evil. We are to pray for our enemy. Jesus gave us an incredible impossible mandate. There's a word that got ripped off, right? Mandates. Um, he gave us a mandate to love our enemy. How does one do that? When I think of my true enemies, I don't love them naturally. And so what do we do? Well, we have to look to the soul, right? You cannot like the person or the behavior of the person but you can look to the soul and love their soul because without Jesus, they're going to hell. And we should allow the things that break the Lord's heart to break our heart, right? And, and that is a, that's prayer because we do not naturally walk around thinking, oh man, that, that's just horrible and really feel the gravity of the situation without 
communicating with the Lord without being in His Word to break down the calluses of our heart. Well, as a 12-year-old, you can imagine he's taking over a kingship. And so Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he gave Timothy some instruction on how a youth ought to act. And if you have kids, make this one of their life verses. It's 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word. So it's the things that we say in conduct, the things that we do in love and demonstrating our love for one another, our love for God, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, if Manasseh had this verse and lived by it, it would have been a whole different story. But that wasn't the case. His dad was king. He was slotted to take over. Um, His dad was a great influence. Hezekiah was an incredible king. Hezekiah did everything right. And his son turned out to be a disappointment. So you might be doing everything right and godly in your home. And if your son or your daughter goes prodigal, walks away from the Lord, you need to grow in strength in God's grace and His mercy. Because your kids are responsible for their own decisions. But we're also going to see the grave consequences of being a bad parent as well. And so Manasseh, being the poster child of success, um, that d- it didn't turn out that way. All right, so here in verse 2, it says, But he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So the Lord had already dealt with Israel and got rid of all all of this stuff. But yet Manasseh brings it all back. Verse 3, he says, For he rebuilt the high places. The high places are the places for pagan worship. Which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So here's like uh, um, astrology, you know, uh, you know, how many of you, don't raise your hand, it'd be embarrassing to answer this question, <laughs> but how many of you read your horoscope? You shouldn't be reading your horoscope. That's part of the demoniac. Um, you know, you go get Chinese food and you get the... How many, has anybody ever won off of their, their recommended lotto numbers? No, just eat the cookie. We're always looking for a fortune. We're always, you know, um, there are people that are in the so-called charismatic Christian movement that refer to the Lord and the Holy Spirit as a genie in a bottle. And that you could rub the genie and ask Him to do anything for you. 
And that's not who God is. Because I don't want Him to do everything that I would ask. Well, as we read this, Manasseh, we could see that his, his thinking is wrong. So he had the right influences, and yet he did not hold every thought captive. And he allowed himself to go wayward. What time am I supposed to be done? <laughs> Pastor, like, give me a deadline. 10.20, all right. So here in verse 4, it says, He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem shall be, shall my name be forever. So this is the house of the Lord. This is a place of worship, right? This building. Um, the church is you. Without you, this is just a building. But this building is set apart to be a place of worship. And it would be as if somebody came in uh, if Pastor Manny wasn't here and then put up all this pagan and idol worship to take place here, you would walk in and you'd be horrified. Imagine walking in and seeing a, an upside-down bloody cross with the, uh, the pentagram. Um, uh, with, uh, and somebody's up here with a Ouija board. I mean, that, that's how, how dark darker really than anything that I can try to describe it says so he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord so he's trying to reach out to every demonic spirit to all the host of heaven also he caused his son sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom he killed his own kids. We have roughly 70 million abortions just in the U.S. And this is not to condemn anybody that has gotten an abortion. That is forgivable. But just because we might have fallen in a certain area doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand for righteousness in that area. That was one of David's problems, King David, because of his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. And then when Absalom and, and his dysfunctional family, he just felt so disqualified as a dad. He's like, well, I fell, you know, I committed adultery and I, I killed this guy and I can't build the temple now because there's blood on my sword. And so now uh, he, he couldn't properly parent. Well, just because you might have stuff that you don't like or you're not proud of in your past doesn't mean that you cannot move forward in righteousness. And that's so important. And we'll see that that is what uh, Manasseh uh, ultimately tries to do. And so he caused his sons to walk through fire, and so he killed them. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums, and spirit, uh, spiritists, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And so as, as we look at Manasseh, you have Hezekiah, righteous man, and Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was just like Manasseh. Like my grandfather, he was a Jew, 
but an atheist Jew. And as far as we, he died at 102, and as far as we know, he did not know the Lord. And he was a very unrighteous man. And that went down to my dad. My dad, he uh, was also heathenistic. And he lived until he was 72, but he didn't come to the Lord until he was 70. But I praise the Lord for those two years. And so then that sin bled into my life. But the Lord got a hold of my life. And, and it gets less and less from generation to generation as I observe my own son and my daughters. And it's nothing that we've done. It's the power of His Word. It's the power of the Spirit of God. And it is the grace of God because they could, God forbid, just go nuts in sin. Second Chronicles 28.3 gives us an insight to Ahaz, Manasseh's grandfather. It says, He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high place, places on the hills and under the green tree. When I read that, I was like, okay, I understand in the high hills uh, or in the high places and on the hills. Uh, we did ministry in Catalina for some years and uh, for some months, rather. And, uh, and so in the, in the hills, there's lots of, lots of witchcraft. Uh, so I grew up in Anaheim, California. I was born uh, in Anaheim and I went to Anaheim High School and so very familiar with uh, things around here. And then we moved up to Northern California in the foothills of Tahoe. And when you get into the hills, weird things are taking place. Like demonic things. Which, like you would see bones and, and just uh, rock formations. And you know they're, doing, they're performing animal sacrifice. So we understand that. But then it's like under every green tree. So he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So he's like forsaking like all things of God. Like we're all familiar with, uh, if you're a tree hugger, I, I don't mean to offend you, but <laughs> this earth was created to be a consumable. You realize that, right? Because God's going to create a new one. And he told that he told Adam that we'd have dominion over all creation. And you know, you garden, you you plant something, and you know the tree huggers is like, well, why don't you hug your broccoli then? You know what I mean? It's like hug your carrot, and which is, I mean, it's like okay, I, I, trees are beautiful, but there's an aspect of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And we need to be good stewards, absolutely. But I saw an interview with Amir Safadi of a, um, uh, this, I don't know what he was, he was this high up scientist in Israel. And he was like, okay, in a hundred years, 
In a hundred years, the temperature is going to change one degree. And yet we have trillions of dollars being spent to stop a one degree change. If we disperse that money and just kind of focused on missions and communities, right? The churches are, are the, the organizations that started the original hospitals. And you, you think about what they're trying to do, but it's a, it's a debased mind. They're trying to create their utopia here today. And we know that we live in a fallen world and we're not going to experience a utopia here. Like this is the... This is the worst it gets for you and I. But for the person without Christ, this is the best it gets for them. So you can imagine if somebody doesn't know the Lord, they're, they're having to build this utopia. And Manasseh and Ahaz, uh, you know, they were worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so then, as we look at this, and what he was doing within the definitions uh, um, and soothsaying and witchcraft and sorcery, consulting uh, mediums. And, and when we look at also Deuteronomy 18.9, the Lord is giving warning, like, don't get involved in this stuff. In Deuteronomy, he's like, don't do this. He says, when you come into the land, Deuteronomy 18.9, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Ahaz, Manasseh. They both did this. And one who practices witchcraft or soothsaying, uh, soothsayers, one who interprets omens and a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Now you know there's a movement. They do grave soaking. Where they go up to the graves and they want to soak the, the gifts. It's demonic. And that's what I don't want to ruin it for you, but Jesus in the chosen, he went to a grave to soak up. Um, Not in the chosen, the actor. Yeah, the actor, sorry. I don't know his name, but. Um, yeah, and he went to a grave to do some grave soaking. And here we see. It says, don't, it shouldn't even be named among you. Like no one should be found among you. Or one who calls up the dead. The dead are dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord God, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless. That word blameless means perfect. So we're going to kind of dive into this perfection that's impossible. 
that you should be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess. Uh, nice, I said that wrong. Did I? How do you say that? Is it dispossess? No, oh, okay. I'm uneducated, so. <laughs> Amen. Let's hang out. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and uh, deviners. Sounds close to governors, but but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. God doesn't want this for you. Don't be don't let it be named among you. And now the, the Bible's super clear as as the. The idea is to be blameless, to be perfect. That's what the Hebrew word means. Blameless is to be perfect. We know that there's only one perfect, right? Deuteronomy 32.4 says, he, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So that's that's our expectation for ourselves. We are to be blameless. We are to be perfect. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, 48, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. But it's impossible. It's like Paul telling us to to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That he would lay down his life. Now we see that allegorically, but all the men here, I see that you're still alive. So us laying down our lives, it's a spiritual laying down. So the perfection that, that is only obtainable is in Christ. We have to be abiding in Christ. The context of Matthew 5, if you, if you fast or go up, do a rewind on that, He's talking about loving the enemy. He's like, look, if you do good to those that are doing good to you, like, big deal. But love your enemy. Who wants to love the enemy? You know, endorphins are released when you get mad and upset. Endorphins are released. Like, you feel better about yourself when you start talking down about somebody. Like, your judgment's upon me. Like, you know, he needs to go on a diet. You, you feel better about yourself over that. And the Lord's not going to bless your lunch. <laughs> so the Lord, He's saying you need to have a perfect love. Loving your enemy is the perfect love. While we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. We were His enemy. And yet He died for us. So this is only possible as we are abiding in Christ. That means that we are walking with Him, that we are following Him, and we are obeying Him. If we are abiding in Christ. And if we're abiding in Christ, we are told that He will preserve us. He will protect us. He will give us ways for which we will not stumble or fall. So how do we be perfect? We can't on our own. It's in Jesus. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep 
you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What a day. What a day to be presented before God Almighty as faultless. And the Lord is, is like exceedingly joyful about that presentation. Like how, how you get, you might be excited. Like my wife and I, we got three grandkids that were super excited about holding them and letting people see us hold them. Because <laughs> they're so cute. And like they were, part, they're part of us. And the way we would get excited about that, but those are our grandkids. Well, Jesus has no grandkids. He has sons and daughters. And he, gets, he just gets lit up. I think you even said you, we need to get lit for that thing you're doing, that the, the ignite. So you need to come to the ignite and get lit. So you would burn. So people would want to come around you and watch you burn and be like, what is it about you? And you're like, it's Jesus. It's Him. Well, part of this, this preservation for God like Manasseh, he walked away from the Lord's protection. But if we're abiding in Christ, then when we read like Psalm 121.7, it says, the Lord shall preserve. That word preserve in the Hebrew is to keep. The Lord shall keep you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If you are abiding in Christ, He will keep you from evil. But if we, like, you know, you put navigation in your phone, right? And you can, it'll say, you know, quickest route. And you'll be like, all right. But then you miss your turn. Recalculating. So the Lord recalculates. The destination is the same, but you might go through some difficult stuff because we got off track. But as soon as we get back on track, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Does it say part of your heart? Well, it says all. Lean not on your own understanding. So when you just don't get it, trust in Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. We're told that he will be a lamp unto our feet. Now, when that was written in the ancient time, a lamp literally illuminated just a few steps. A light unto our path. A lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So we're talking day and night, all the time. The Lord will lead us. And Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And that word ordered in the Hebrew is to, to establish, like to establish you. And he delights in his way. The Lord delights in his way, not our way. Our way is wayward. That song, uh, Come Thou Fount, and there's a part of it where it's like, my heart is prone to wander, wander away from the one that I love. It's built in. And so we have to know the word of God and so if we want to be close to Him, preserved by Him, we need to be walking with Him. 
And it says, it says, though he fall, I thought you just read Jude where he says he'll keep you from stumbling. Well, that word fall means to unintentionally or accidentally fall. Like you're not out there planning, you trip over, right? Like we, how many of us can, can be like praising the Lord in worship in the car and then somebody cuts you off? And all of a sudden, it's like a divination comes out. And you're like, what is so wrong with me? Well, it's the sin nature. So, though he fall unintentionally, he shall not be utterly cast out, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Upholds, that, that word upholds in the Hebrews to sustain you. So, like, in ministry, when, when we're putting together ministries, and we're just like, it has to be sustainable. It has to be able to last beyond an individual person. Well, God will sustain us. He will uphold us. It's his doing. It's not ours. You know, you think of Moses. Moses, when the battle was taking place, he needed Aaron and her to lift up his arms. And it was through that help that victory started to take place. Well, the Lord is our victor. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We're already in a position of we win. It's whether or not we are fighting from that position. Or if we approach God, we're already defeated. And Manasseh, he put himself in a vicarious situation of defeat. And the whole idea here is that without Jesus, there's no hope. None. But with Jesus, you'll know hope. You'll have the hope of eternal life. And it's just not like I hope I get the right fortune cookie to get the lotto numbers. No, it's, it's the hope of eternal life that, that Jesus established on the cross. Colossians one twenty one says, And you who, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He's the one that presents us. He's the one that makes us holy, blameless, and above reproach. And that word reconciled. Manasseh, he was going through a situation where he was, the Lord was like, this is unreconcilable. Your actions are not reconcilable. I already got rid of this stuff. And so the jeopardy of the Lord's presence among the people was grave. It was not a good situation. Well, the word reconciled in Colossians 1.21, that he has reconciled in the body, the word reconciled in the Hebrew means to reconcile completely, to change from one condition to another. Anybody in here changed? No? You, you, you can't do the things you used to do. You're miserable. You get all like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You, you're hard on yourself. You'll condemn yourself. That word reconcile means to remove all enmity and leave no obstacle to unity and peace 
It's a very strong word of being reconciled with God. Like there's no obstacles. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, the God, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's part of the ministry here at Calvary Chapel El Monte. The, the ministry of reconciliation. That though the Lord is all about changing us and making us acceptable, and yet we can still walk around defeated, feeling like we're not changed, feeling like God doesn't love us, and it's so important that we're not led by our feelings. Our feelings can deceive us. Well, the story goes on here in verse 7 of Second Chronicles 33. It says, He, Manasseh, even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I put my name forever. So Manasseh has defiled the very place that God has chosen. Is this forgivable? Manasseh has destroyed it. He has brought in utter sin. Is it forgivable? Well, Jesus tells us what's unforgivable. Matthew 12, 31 says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Manasseh is blasphemy. It says anyone who speaks word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. That is the rejection of the power of God, the Spirit of God calling you to himself, to salvation through Jesus. That's the only unforgivable sin. Everything else is forgivable and reconcilable on God's books. In verse 8 here, it says, and, and I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed to your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So here, the Lord's presence among the people is at jeopardy verse 9 it says so manasseh seduced judah and the inhabitants of jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the lord had destroyed before the children of israel so we can agree that manasseh is a piece of work right well verse 10 it says and the lord spoke to manasseh and his people but they wouldn't listen so here the lord's giving a chance and he's saying look if you listen Things won't be so hard. Well, they didn't listen. Verse 11 says, therefore. So when you see therefore, you need to see what it's there for. It's there because they did not listen. Right? How many of us have gone through difficult things because we didn't listen the first time? And so we've had to learn the hard way. Well, same thing. Verse 11, therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the, ki of the king of Assyria. And these were like brutal people that the Lord had protected the children of Israel from. 
And yet here the Lord's like, all right, have your way. Who took Manasseh with hooks. So those hooks are like they put a nose ring and then grabbed his nose like with the staff and they're like leading him. I mean, can you imagine like, you know, and, and it's uh, oh, it says that they bound him, right? And so that's like these stalks in the legs. So it was kind of like walking, kind of like Forrest Gump, right? And walking like this and then to bring direction, grabbing the staff and then pulling him by the nose. I, that'd be really uncomfortable. Well, where am I? Verse 12. It says, Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God. Some of us are like that. When we're in the midst of the hard time, then. Then we'll call upon the name of the Lord. He implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God, before the God of his fathers, and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that that the Lord was God. So here we see this king. He was an idol worshiper. He was a murderer. He was an idolater. He was a promiscuous man. He desecrated God's temple. And yet we see God's grace of forgiveness because he repented. And we see some crazy stuff here because Manasseh, and you might like, be like, well, I'm not as bad as him. That's part of the problem in the church when people give testimony is because you'll be like listening, listening, and then you'll be like feeling a little guilty, convicted maybe, and then you're just like, and, he, and, the, and the person giving the testimony goes in, in an area that you haven't struggled with, and then, and then what we do is we say, oh, well, I'm not that bad. And then we rationalize it. And we're like, well, I'm okay then. I didn't do that. Well, the Apostle Paul says this about himself. In First uh, Timothy one fifteen says, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief." So he's saying he's worse than Manasseh. That word "chief" in the Hebrew means first place. He's best at sinning. He is the first in rank of being the first, uh, the worst sinner. I mean, Paul, he was, Christians died because of the things that he ordered. Stephen died while Paul was like holding the garments as people were throwing stones at Stephen. Saul was there. Well, verse 14, it says, After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the, in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it uh, enclosed Ophel, Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the, the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord 
and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and, and, uh, and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. So here we see this repentance, and then so when repentance takes place, he's having to rebuild. And oftentimes, we've caused so much damage in our lives because of the things that we've done, the things that we got caught up in. It's, yes, we receive God's grace, but it requires us to reconcile with one another. It requires us to go to those that maybe we've sinned against to make things right. Because it's not, and you might be like, no, God's grace, he's good, he's forgiven me. Well, let me remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 5.23 says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. We have the responsibility to go to those that we've sinned against and ask for forgiveness. Whether they forgive you or not, that's on them. But we have the responsibility to make things right. Well, it goes on, our last verse here, it says, Nevertheless, in Second Chronicles 33, Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So they still kept those, those pagan worship altars, but they worshipped the Lord. It reminds me of a friend of my brother's who came to the Lord. He was kind of a, uh, he came out of the world heavily. And so he came to Jesus and he was super excited about his relationship with the, uh, with, with the Lord. He was reading his Bible. And he came up to my brother. He was super excited about something he read. He said, hey, bro, check out what I just read in my bleeping Bible. <laughs> and so some things die hard, right? It's not like we all of a sudden, you know, we get saved and it's like, oh, I sin no more. No, it's a process. Sanctification is like we should all have um, shirts that say under construction, right? And so we need to seek the Lord. We need to get involved in church. We need to read the Word of God. We need to pray, spend time alone. We need to share our faith because sometimes bad habits die hard, but the closer you get to the Lord... They, they will literally start, the bad habits will fall off like a dead scab. And you'll just be like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even interested in that anymore. It's not to say that your flesh won't be like, I have a, a tendency or won't be familiar with it, but you'll just be like, no way. Homie, not going to do that. Am I saying the right language here? <laughs> all right, so, all right, three minutes. I know I'm, I'm going 15 minutes over. But I'm going to take three more minutes, which might turn into... Okay, my wife tells me to be quiet. Okay, there's some, there's some... I'm almost done. I know I said that already. But So we have some of these stories in the New Testament. We have the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son came to his dad and says, I want the inheritance. I want to go live how I want to live. The dad gives the son the inheritance. He goes and he lives like how he wants to live in and, and all, all the world. And then what he ends up doing is he, he's literally eating like with the pigs and then 
the, the language is he comes to his senses. It was like all of a sudden, it was like, what am I doing? I'm eating with the pigs. And so then he goes, he, he goes back to his dad, and his dad sees him coming. And it wasn't only like his dad sitting there saying, and, you know, I've been up drinking my coffee for three hours, and you're late. No, his dad took off his royal robe, ran to his son, and put the royal robe, gave him, gave him the insignia ring that you're back in the family. Okay? So that, that is one similar story that we see with regards to the, the story of Manasseh and then in, in, the, in the New Testament. Well, we also have Paul's transformation. He was a murderer of Christians. He was going to Damascus to hunt down Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem and take them to trial. While on his way to Damascus, it says that when he would breathe, the language is he, when he would breathe, he was, his breath was filled with hatred. Right? It was just like, just fueled with, with hatred towards righteousness. Very similar to Galvin Newsom. Now, <laughs> when, so that, that's all to say is that not every, it's like nobody's too far lost, right? So you need to pray for your, your city leaders, your, your state legislators, and all that stuff. Well, so the story goes that the Lord knocked him off of his high horse. And he comes to the Lord, he writes most of the New Testament, changes our lives because of his missionary journeys that the gospel is here in this building. Praise God. Well, there is a woman caught in adultery. There are these accusers brought Jesus, brought this woman to Jesus. And, and, there, and Jesus was like, okay, you without sin cast the first stone. And so nobody threw a stone. Well, a more intimate story that to me really resonates is the the woman uh that is uh, the woman at the well the samaritan woman uh john 4 1 says therefore when the lord knew that the pharisees had heard that jesus made and baptized more disciples than john um though jesus himself did not baptize but he his, but his disciples he left judea and departed again to galilee but he needed to go through Samaria. Jews did not hang out in Samaria, but it says he needed to go, and the Hebrew, that word needed, is a moral obligation. Jesus needed to go to minister to this woman that had been married five times, and the dude that she was shacking up with wasn't her husband, and Jesus ends up telling her this whole story. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you your story. We just met. I asked for water. And, and Jesus gets on. You know, he tells her, you know, if you thirst, um, if you drink this, you're, you're always going to thirst. If, if you drink of the living water, you will never thirst again. Well, she's, mad, she's just blown away that Jesus is telling her story. She goes back into town, and all these people start turning to the Lord. And they say, we didn't turn because of what you said. We turned because of what he said. So that's why it's important that we don't uh, 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 glory in our sin, glory in our testimony. We glory in Jesus. The focus is on Him. And so when we look at the things that Jesus did, well, Jesus was intentional. He needed to go. So for every single one of you, maybe you need to go minister to someone. And you haven't. Because maybe it's an undesirable place to go. 
That's what Jesus did. But maybe you're the Samaritan and you need someone to minister to you. We're in either category. We either need to step up our game and start ministering to those that are difficult or we're the difficult person that needs to allow people to minister to us. And maybe, maybe you've made a mess of things in your life. That's what Manasseh did. That's what the woman caught in adultery did. That's what Paul did. That's what this Samaritan woman did. Maybe you've done some bad parenting. Maybe you've made some bad parenting decisions. And, and, and you're reaping the whirlwind because of that. Well, maybe you know that the way that you're living is not the way God wants you to live. Well, today's the day to get right with the Lord. And I'm sure we could all identify with a Manasseh or the prodigal son or the woman caught in adultery or Paul being hostile towards the church or the person that's in need of somebody coming and exposing our sin but being there to restore us. Today is the day to turn to Jesus. Regardless of where you're at in your journey, today is the day of salvation.